This morning we have the pleasure of having with us Michael Draypack of Draypack Capital Partners. Michael, there's very few people anywhere in the market that understand conditions and property cycles like yourself. So let's get straight into it. What are you seeing on the ground at the moment? There's just too much positive, oh, what's the word, irrational positivity. And people say, oh, the market, the market, Michael, gee, it's doing great, the market's doing great, the market's doing great. And then I start to challenge them. And I say, well, but what about, what, have you really examined this carefully? Have you really examined, that, is it really doing well? There's certain sectors doing well. So I've really dug very deeply. I've gone and seen lots of agents. I'm not interested in dealing with tyre kickers. I'm dealing with people, talking to people, interrogating people who are on the ground, large volumes of property, large volumes of retail, speaking to lenders, big lenders, uh, speaking with architects and builders and uh, large companies. And what I'm seeing is a very different story. And I've spoken to agents that handle large volumes of residential and I'm starting to see the most uncertain, most uncertain market. The conditions are so uncertain. I, I just, I've never seen such uncertainty. Mm. And, you know, and we could talk about it. I mean, what's the real, the uncertainty of the, of the, of the virus, of the pandemic? The, you know, the vaccine raises more questions than what it answers. The, you know, there's now mutant strains. I heard the head of the AMA talk the other day and he said, the virus is coming. Don't think we, who spoke on Friday on Radio National, do not think that we can continue a strategy of elimination. What, how finite, or what are the limitations of the vaccines? Mm -hmm. uh, what impact is that going to have on the dynamics of the office environment? If you speak to people like Biss Oxford, he said every month we change our, our assumptions. You know, 380,000 square metres of new space came on the market last year in Melbourne at a time when vacancies were starting to increase. I prefer to refer to it as occupancy. And every company you speak to, whatever assumptions they had in December, they're very different to today. To today. What does that look like? Right? What's the city of Melbourne CBD going to look like? What does vacancy really, occupancy going to really look like in two years from now? And working culture, you know, office culture, we don't know. Mm. You know, I spoke to, I won't mention his name, a very big lender. He does a lot of the lending in Melbourne. And he said to me the other day, I had breakfast with him, with another banker, and they said LVRs for retail and offices were 65 pre-pandemic, 65 LVR, now they're 45. And he said, and we're calling on client after client after client to top up, because not only the LVRs tumbled, the, the values are tumbling, right? So if you had a, a vacant shop or had a retail lease on it, even if you had it fortunate enough to have a retail lease, you find that the values have now been re-pegged down by 25-30% on average. Mm. Two big values I've spoken to. Now, you do the maths, right? Do the math. It's, if you had a $20 million property before and you, you could borrow $13 million from the bank and the property's now worth $15 million and you can only borrow 45%, you've got a $70 million cash for, um, shortfall. Mm. So I'm seeing things like that. I speak to architects <coughs> and Two very big firms, very busy, really busy, but no new work. I come to the conclusion that I think the, the entire property landscape is, is being reshaped. And we still don't know, there's so many things which we don't know. I mean, I mentioned the vaccine and, and the virus. We don't know what's really going to happen. Everyone says, oh, but the market's done so well in this pandemic. Hey, 
has it? We've been so numbed by the pain, from the pain. We've all been on morphine, right? Interest rates, lowest ever. You know, job keeper, job seeker, insolvency moratoriums, you know, mortgage moratoriums, um, rent moratoriums. So everyone's been, and then, I spoke to one of probably the biggest player in the residential market as an agent, and he said something really interesting to me. I had dinner with him. He said, transactions, he said, our transactional volumes are down dramatically. I said, oh yeah. He said, the buyers last year in 2020, who were buyers in February, March, April, May, he said, they didn't go away. But no stock came on the market. And then with the reduced interest rates and all these incentives, there are buyers which came on the market that ordinarily probably wouldn't have. Baby boomers and people that were ordinarily would have sold, didn't want to sell. Who wants to sell in that in last year? So the people who were in the market couldn't get set. One, the agents weren't busy, weren't selling, and two, people weren't selling. And so the, the supply-demand equilibrium just got so destabilised and created this perception the market's booming mm -hmm. on the back. But look at the transactional numbers, right? The, the, you know, the end game there might be that the market will continue to improve. And I think good quality residential, and I said it a year ago, good quality residential won't be affected much at all. But then now let's look at apartments. I spoke to a guy who manages 4,400 um, residential apartments and he said, uh, he said rents have dropped 20-25%, vacancies are over 10%. And then I spoke to the biggest seller of, of prestige apartments he said, and I said, oh, what do you think the upmarket residential, you know, upmarket um, residential apartments are doing. He said, how much do you think they've dropped? He said, can't tell you. I said, what do you mean you can't tell me? He said, there's no market, no one's buying. Mm -hmm. I said, what do you mean no one's buying? And he said, well, those people are in the $2 million to $5 million price range have options. And he said, they're not buying because they're frightened of being locked in a building, you know, and so that's changed, that's changed buyer appetite. And those buyers have gone and started to look for, you know, townhomes, um, you know, nice, you know, upmarket, um, double-storey terrace homes, etc., etc. So that market's benefited. Mm. When everyone says to me, oh, you know, the market's doing great, well, how, just again, logically, immigration's at a standstill, tourism's at a standstill, students have dropped off completely, and and the market's doing well. There's got to be winners. There are winners, and the winners are obvious, but there's lots of losers, and I've only touched on some of them. So when I look at it, when I look at it, um, you know, I, I'm, I think that I've never seen more uncertainty, and, and I think, you know, and we go back and people say, oh, but there's lots of, you know, I hear this all the time, this nonsense. They say, there's so, so much money in the system. Yeah, there is, and interest rates are so low. Okay, but confidence is so fragile, they forget that. They forget that the stock market collapsed 35-40% around the world in a low interest environment, and when all this money was there, why did it collapse? Because confidence got wounded so dramatically. And the funny thing is, why did it collapse? It collapsed on the fear of COVID. COVID was realised, the fears of COVID were realised, and then the stock market came back to record highs, and outside of Australia as well. So, and then we look at this confidence thing, you know, what happened in 2009? 2009, there was the GFC. You remember what the federal government, government issued, and, and, um, issued that, that they stated that we can only guarantee, we'll give a guarantee of $1 million per bank account 
the banks, the whole market, the whole world collapsed. Again, confidence is very fragile. In 2018, when we had the banking reports came out, and in 2018, you know, I saw subdivisions which were selling 40 lots a month drop to zero, one or two a month. And so all I'm saying is that when, you know, when, you know, there's a great saying, when the snow melts, the poop stinks, you know. I think, you know, job keepers coming in, job seekers coming in, the moratoriums are coming to an end. You know, valuers are now revaluing things. Banks are changing their LVRs. Insolvencies are, start to, are starting to increase. I spoke to an agent yesterday, so we've got 40, 40 properties coming on the market. That's one agent, which are all insolvencies, banks in, in, in mortgage possession. So, you know, and one of the things I spoke about last time is that, is that you only, you know, I've never forgotten this, and when I did some research on the, the Sydney, Melbourne, um, Atlanta, Chicago, and New York office markets, you get a small shift in occupancy. You get, you get a, an exponential shift in actual rental, in values. And you only need to track the, the, if the easiest one, the most transparent one to follow is the Sydney market. When you just see what happened between 1990 and 2020. Look, correlate, look at as occupancy or vacancy, whichever way you wish to express it, changed by you know, 10, 15%. Look at the exponential effect that had on, on the actual rental values. Mm. So I think that here, if we get, already I can see, I spoke to an agent, an agent's got 744, 722 shops. I said, and I asked him the question. I said, how much do you think rents have dropped? He said, there's a few isolated examples, exceptions, but generally we did, we did an analysis in our office and we faced rents have dropped a third on average. But because incentives have increased dramatically, um, we think effective rents have dropped between 40 and 45%. The most telling thing he said, he said, I think things are worsening. He said, We've, we, are, we are managing, you know, there are people in, in life support, you know, metaphorically on life support. You know, if we have another dislocation or another, you know, lockdown, it doesn't even need to be prolonged. He said another five or ten percent of our ten, at least five percent are, are, are gone. They're finished. So, for all those people that uh, that are, are very optimistic, uh, I think you really need to. And I'm not. These are these are facts. These are not. Um, these are not. I'm not speculating on these things. Mm. These are facts. These are these are objective facts. And I think that um, every day, when it comes to the virus, every day there's something new, you know, now the threat of Papua New Guinea, now the, th the, the fear of, you know, we heard in Europe last week that four countries had banned the AstraZeneca vaccine. If you ask the two top immunologists these questions and ask them, will the vaccine reduce transmissibility? The answer is we don't know. Will, will it, will it con how long will it confer immunity for? Will it be years? Don't know, we may probably have to get a jab every year. Right? Will it confer immunity against these new mutant strains or these new variants? We don't know. And that's not a criticism of those guys. It's just another example of the unknown. And if, and if you said, well, you know, winter's coming, um, you know, are we gonna have further lockdowns in Melbourne? We don't know. So, and I think it's, it's, a, it's an opportunity for I, one of the things you can be sure of, you just look at, you know, as I said before, you know, in 2005, 
we're in the middle of an econ not economic boom. I know I keep harping about this, but land was as cheap as $1,200 a metre in the CBD of Melbourne. No one had any forward vision. Very few did, some did. And all I'm saying is that, is that I think the market will, is very prone, commercial markets are very prone to irrational behaviour. Confidence is very fragile and I'm already starting to see gaps and I'll give you a good example. Once upon a say pre-COVID, if you had two shops, two retail shops, and there's lots of examples of this, if, it had a, if, if shop A were the one that was tenanted and shop B was a shop which was vacant, but for all intents and purposes they were the same type of property, same street, same size. The differential between one and the other was virtually ne was negligible. In other words, pre-COVID, had a shop, retail shop, vacant, was worth $3 million, rented, you know, let, it was worth probably $3 million. Very little difference. Today, that differential, there's a real differential. If you have a vacant shop, sorry, a, a let shop, it might be worth $3 million, but a vacant shop is nearly half today. The sales, not quite half, I reckon 60%. So, and I think people, I think there's going to, for people that, um, it's not always that great man saying when everyone, you can't afford, when everyone's looking this way, you can't, you've got to, you can't afford to look the same way as everyone else. You've got to look the other way. And I think that um, at the moment, those people are running around saying the market's going to be fine. I don't know on what basis. When is immigration? When is immigration going to return? When is inter interstate immigration going to return? When are the students really going to come back? Uh, so... It just to me it doesn't make sense, and then and then you start to see, you know, small clouds, black clouds on the interest rates. You know, we've had we've had an environment, we've had the biggest set of tailwinds in the history of 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 our of the property market in Australia. You know, immigration, you know, stimuli, um, lowering of interest rates. Those tailwinds, as I said the last time we spoke, have come to an end. Interest rates can't really go any lower. And if you watch, actually monitor the interest rate at the moment, you know, they kicked up from 0.15 to 0.35 or something the other day. And the five and 10 year rates, I think it was the five and 10 year rates, have actually kicked up by about 100 basis points. So just imagine, I mean, the government will never allow a situation where interest rates will go from you know, 0.1 to 0.2 to overnight, meaning the borrowing rate would go from two to four. That's not gonna happen in the short term, but it will happen over time. And so what's that gonna look like in three or four years from now when the interest rates have kicked up, you know, 100 or 200 basis points? But I'm an opportunist, unashamedly, mm -hmm. and, but at no expense to anyone else. But I'm very optimistic about going forward. I think, you know, um, you know immigration will return I think um, Australia is going to be one of the most desirable places more than ever before for people to emigrate to. But we, our, the whole market, you know, two years ago, to use an analogy, you drive down the freeway and, and every, the, there was one speed. They were all going the one speed. Apartments, retail, retail was a little bit slower, but offices, you know, logistics, industrial, you know, residential subdivisions, everything was flying along. Today you go down the highway, it's fascinating to watch, you know, metaphorically, these cars broken down, <laughs> the retails are broken down on the side of the road, you know, you're seeing, um, you know, seeing, seeing the office, bl office blocks being towed by, by a truck, 
And then you see this red Ferrari go flying past and saying, hey, I'm the coastal market, you know? <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then you see you know, a blue Porsche go by saying, I'm the regional market. But, um, so that's all got to play out. That's all I think I'd like to refer to as the great unraveling is, is about to happen and the reshaping of the market and the recalibration of the market. And people are gonna overreact and there's gonna be great opportunities. And I've already seen, um, haven't seen it in Melbourne so much, but I've seen opportunities in, in other areas, in other states where, uh, you know, there's been great sites that are on the market and been able to be bought at, at the right price. And sticking on that automotive thing, given you've raised it, <clears throat> you've, uh, people that know you would have heard this saying before, but you look at the market with two feet on the brake and, and one hand <laughs> on the accelerator. Where are you at with that today? It's a phrase, my favourite phrase about, you know, when someone says, oh, what are you doing? I said, oh, two feet on the brake and one hand on the accelerator. Well, at the moment I've got, you know, two feet, two feet on the brake, two hands on the brake, and my, my little nose is on the accelerator just sniffing, right? But I'm excited in terms of if you can be patient and have courage and understand property, I think there's going to be some good opportunities emerge. But it, the risk profile is all wrong. Someone said to me, I will explain to you what, what you mean, Michael. I said, well, it's like going to the casino. At the moment, going to the casino and you want to back black, meaning black is a substitute, I want to buy, I, I want to invest in the market. Well, if you went to the casino and there were only six black numbers and, thir and 30 reds, you're only going to get a dollar, a dollar profit for every dollar you invested. If black came up, the odds aren't too good. Black might still prevail, but I'm not so sure. Uh, well, the, the, the odds are just wrong. Mm. Probability, the downside probability is too high, and I don't see a lot of upside. Clever investing is optimising your risk-reward equation. It's not about some, so I made 10 times my money on, on this fly-by-night you know, stock, yeah, but you know, five other companies have lost my money. It's property investing, and investing is about risk reward. The risk reward is is that equation or that expression is wrong at the moment. It's just it's so out of balance. There's very little risk, very little reward, and enormous amount of risk. And I just think let that unravel. And uh, I think it'll be a good a good time to invest somewhere in the next. I've made a few offers on things, but it's, they're very unfashionable and I'm looking where no one's looking. And let's talk about development site values. You've seen almost every site across Melbourne over the last couple of months. Where are you seeing opportunities and, and where are you avoiding? Um, at the moment, I'm, I, I think Melbourne is, Melbourne is fully overpriced. I mean, I, you know, I was with an agent yesterday, Wednesday. I was with an agent yesterday, and uh, Wednesday, sorry, and he, I just said, what have you got for sale? And I, you know, and it was all overpriced. I said, I said, how can you justify $15,000 a metre there? I said, who's going who's gonna to develop that today? So what I'm avoiding, I'm not really a developer. I mean, I have developed a few things. I'm very poor at it. Um, it's not my skill set, really. But I just don't see, you know, if you go and buy Someone said to me the other day, I'll give you a good example. He said, oh, property um, out in the suburbs, $29 million. And, and, uh, and I said, okay. And he, he was asking me my opinion about someone lending a first mortgage of an LVR of about 55%. And, 
And to answer your question, I said, well, what's the end value of that project? And the end value was about 200 million. So you've got a $29 million land component, end value is $200 million. And I said to the, I said to the, um, the, the, uh, the lender, I said, can you see the end value dropping from 200 to 180? He said, yeah, no, easily. I said, well, what's your land worth then? And he said, he looked at me and I, he said, well, it's probably gonna be worth 10% less. And I said, no, it'll be worth 10 million. What I've been looking at is, I've been looking at some rural land and I've been looking at, um, I made an offer on a couple of things interstate. So I'm not looking at anything really in Melbourne. I, I'm nothing at the moment, but I'm very keen to monitor it. So I'm, I'm out and about looking every day, not every day, two or three days a week, and just watching how it unfolds. I do think, I do think some of the winners will be, the obvious is coastal markets and regional markets, but I think, I think that neighbourhood retail is going to hold on well because I think destination retail will really suffer. I think retail um, in the city will suffer, office space in the city will suffer, but I think suburban retail sites, um, sorry, suburban office sites will do really well. And um, so I'm very confident about that. But I just see, I mean, and this, my comments do not, I'm not leveling these comments in the city mode. I think the Sydney is a unique beast you know, and I don't know enough about Sydney to make a comment about, but I think the comments that I'm, I'm making apply to every other city in Australia except Sydney. I think Sydney is a unique beast. You only have to see how you know, people like Harry Triggerboff are responding to this. It's a very different market and uh, it's a very unique city. And I think the sad thing about um, COVID for us is that if ever, if someone contemplated that or, or had a view that Sydney and Melbourne are not too far apart, I think Sydney has just gone ahead in leaps and bounds because of the way they've managed the COVID response. And I think Melbourne's really going to suffer from it. I think, Rob, you know, when you're saying where are the opportunities, I mean, it's cliched. Sometimes, you know, if you look at Buffett, and not just Buffett, but Ray Dalio and, and, and many others, the opportunity is just to sit sometimes, you know, and, and be patient and wait till the risk profile is right. You know, something I looked at the other day in Adelaide and, and, and Perth, you know, really, really some two of the best high-rise sites in the, in the city and not having to pay a dollar premium for the blue sky. So if some say, oh, who would, why would you want to go to Adelaide or why would you want to go to Perth? Well, you know, if you've got a view that they're going to have, they're going to be, they're going to develop high-rise there again, well, if that's your view, it is my view, might not be for five years, well, at the moment, because no one's doing any high-rise there, you're able to buy sites which ordinarily you wouldn't be able to buy. And providing you can buy them at a, at a price point where you haven't paid a dollar premium for the blue sky and they perform as an investment along the journey, why wouldn't you? The risk profile's right. So they turn around and say, oh, Michael, you got it wrong and they're never going to develop high-rise in Adelaide again. Well, okay, they might, you might be right, mate, I was wrong. But I haven't taken a risk because I've bought it on a five and a half, six percent return and it's a good, good, good asset. And that's what we did in America, we did in Chicago, we did in Atlanta, and uh, we did it in the Carolinas, um, we did in Miami, just to be able to buy important sites and not having to, to pay a dollar premium for the blue sky. And they've all come good. And that's what we did extensively in Melbourne, in, uh, not just in the CBD, but in the suburbs of Melbourne in the early 2000s. But I think the opportunity is to sit and watch 
you know, I think, you know, spoke to a really smart guy the other day who's got a, a very, very big um, pile of money. And he said, oh, he said I'm going to buy apartments. And I, and I said, he said, I was waiting for your reaction, Michael. He said, because I think they're going to drop by half. He said, but I might have to buy a hundred at a time. And I said, I like it. And it was a great, there was a great guy. Um, his name was, um, ran a company called Trinity Investments. Um, back, um, Shattuck, Lindsay Shattuck. And he was one of the, he's probably a lot of people, the older people would remember him. And he used to buy apartments from the 60s, 70s, 80s. And he had a very simple formula. He used to wait till they dropped to, to below replacement costs. And he was very successful. And I think that if there is, um, you know, some of the apartments, you know, if, if it gets as bad as I think it may get, there might be some big wholesale opportunities. But sit and watch. Um, and uh, I'm sure things, as things unravel and the snow melts and, uh, and the real mortgage distresses start to happen, uh, I think there'll be opportunities will emerge. What about from a funding environment perspective, whether it's from non-bank lenders or investors in your own businesses, how are you finding appetite and sentiment? Um, I mean, most people that I, I mean, probably about half of what I do is my own, is on my own um, balance sheet, but uh, there's a lot of money out there. There's a lot of silly money and there's a lot of very smart money. And I speak to a lot of people. There's a lot of money there looking for a home but the guys I speak to, most of them are very patient and, um, and they're not in a hurry. I mean, three or four blokes I know, three or four families I know have got several hundred million each, and, but they're patient, they're just sitting and watching. But there's a lot of people there that, that are going to hurt, um, a lot of people. You, you, but you've got to look beyond the obvious, you've got to look You've got to look beyond the obvious. I can't mention a deal a mate of mine's doing, but he did an amazing deal. It's a $100 million play in, in this climate, and, and he looked where no one was looking, and I think he'll, he'll, he'll double his money very quickly. I'd say he'll double it within a year or two, but he was you know, buying, buying assets which no one was looking at. I wish I had been looking at it, <laughs> but I wasn't. What ratios do you look at or analyse? You mentioned risk reward equation earlier, what else do you look at in your analysis? Um, I think, I think for me, I've done over 200 deals in my life, I've only ever lost on two of them, two that I can remember, but uh, it's a long time since I lost on a deal, but if you buy broadacre land, and even when I bought a lot of broadacre land in Melbourne, you know, we had, we bought about 11 or 1200 acres, we bought it at a time when we're able to buy resident, rezoned residential land at you know five seven thousand dollars an acre. So that's never going to happen again, not in my lifetime. But the downside was was zero because it was, I paid farming values, and that's what we did in the US. We bought about over fifteen thousand acres of residential land at prices in that five thousand dollar range. So your downside was zero. If you buy, for me, if I were to buy. It's really just looking at what's your risk profile. Because if people say, like if you're buying a retail, like someone the other day bought a shop and they paid 5.6, I went, I didn't go to the auction, but I followed the auction online, they paid $5.6 million and it was leased to the Commonwealth Bank. And I thought, my God, I said, you know, five years time, 
the bank won't even be there. Um, the banks are closing down branches, as you know. And if that happens, you know, there's you know there's twenty percent vacancy in the street. That the risk profile of that is just wrong. Whereas if you you know, I'd rather buy, I'd rather buy a shop which um, which was vacant, frankly, which um, assumed the worst. And you know, I'll give you a good example. I saw a shop sell the other day, and uh, and it sold very low ones. You could convert it to a residence. Right. So if I was to buy a retail, always what's my get out of jail card? What's plan A, plan B, plan C? So it's always just asking if your primary assumption is wrong. On which which predicates you buying it? What's 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 your safety net? What's the B plan? What's the C plan? And I think smart developers they do it differently. And I'm and I don't consider myself a developer. I've always told you that you know they won't proceed with a project until they've got X number of pre-sales. Even if even if they've got the money, smart developers won't. Um, in Melbourne, Harry Triggerboff is and is different. He's in a world. He's got a complete. He's in his own universe. That man, but but generally speaking, a smart developer won't go and do anything on. Won't take. Just measure his risk. He'll 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 cal recalibrate his risk. And and people say, oh, I've got sixty apartments off side off the plan. Well, how strong are those contracts? So it's just about. It's about you know. Going back to what I was saying before, you know, one one foot on the, you know, two feet on the brakes, one hand on the accelerator. Always looking at your risk profile. You know, a mate of mine's a very clever share investor, and he he has a several hundred million dollar portfolio, but he doesn't do as well as some others. But I can tell you, he doesn't lose. You know, he he's, he counts. You know, he does have some losing stocks. Of course, everyone does. But he said it's all about the risk profile. And so for me, I would say clever property investing is about understanding that risk profile. And it's, and you know, like if you buy, you know, a very simple one, which every, every property investor would know, if you buy a property and it's got a lease, I mean, the first question you ask, well, assume that that tenant goes bust tomorrow, am I going to be able to release it at, at the same price? And in this market, I'd say, well, you've got a tenant, you buy a retail shop, it's got a lease, well, you know, assume that you're going to be able to lease it again at 60% or 70% of what it previously was. That's what I call risk management. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean, it means you look a lot harder, you study the market a lot harder, you tend to ignore what a lot of other people say, and you've got to be super patient. You mentioned earlier around about 2005, square metre rates in Melbourne CBD, I think were around 1,200 per square metre. What would you, what, what's your reading on, on where they're at today, and is that sort of growth sustainable long term? They, the cheapest site I bought in 2005 was 1,200 a metre. The dearest site we paid was 2,300 a metre. And I remember we paid 2,000 a metre in William Street for a big site. People were rumouring, not rumouring, mumbling that you know, I'd lost, lost the plot and paid too much, ridiculous amount of money. Um, but that is a function, Rob. I mean, at that time, no one was developing. But that is a function, land values, and any developer knows the actual raw land value is a function of what the end value is. So to answer your question, is it sustainable? I don't think so. <laughs> because one thing that I don't think anyone would argue is this, is the city landscape going to be the same going forward? Are we going to have a different city landscape going forward? We will.
we no one can actually, no one has a, a perfect crystal ball to, to, to envisage what that's going to be. But it is going to be a different city landscape. There's no doubt about that. There's going to be, we're going to, you know, apartments are not going to be occupied as much as they were. You know, office buildings are not going to be occupied as they were or function as they were. The dynamics will change. So if you said that land today was 15 to 20,000 a metre, and you said so, you know, 2,000 square metre site, 20,000 metres, $40 million. And you said, well, that as a function of its end value is $40 million fully developed becomes $300 million. That's your equation. So prior to the pandemic, that's more or less what the equation looked like. A $40 million site was developed and became a $300 million end value building. Go back to what I said just a little bit earlier. If the end values change, in other words, if the demand for apartments drops a little bit, if the demand for office building drops a little bit, and it only has to drop a little bit, if those end values decrease by 15%, so the end value, the $300 million building is now 255, well, you know what's going to happen to the land, don't you? It drops, it'll drop by 75, 80%. People don't want to hear this. But they only need to see what happened in, in the 80s, in the 90s, in the 2000s in Melbourne, and even Sydney to a point. So when you say is it sustainable, I don't think it is sustainable. There will be exceptions. Just, and what I want to highlight is the fragility of that equation. That mathematical equation is that just to think where land was in the 1990s, what it was in 2005, the equation is it was only 2,000 metre maximum because the end value was quite low. The end values doubled, the land prices went up tenfold. It's not sustainable because it, I don't think anyone would disagree that we might see end values. We might see apartments drop from 12,000 metre to 10,000 metre. We might see you know, apartment office buildings drop from you know, by 20%. If that happens, particularly in the CBD and the inner CBD. As I said, I keep saying Sydney's a different world. But again, um, the banks, as I spoke to the lenders, two, two bankers this week, you know, there's things, thing, the loans are being reviewed now. You know, the party's over. And so I don't think they're sustainable. Does that, am I saying that there's not gonna be development going forward? No, absolutely not. There's going to be development going forward. They're going to build high rise again. They're going to build apartments again. But at the current price points, I don't think so. And I think the short in the short term, there's going to be a lot of pain. Mm. And uh, you know, and the red Ferrari and the blue Porsche will continue to rock down the highway. But you're going to see more broken down cars and and, and cars being towed than than previously. It's not it's not a it's not a one lane it's not a one lane one speed highway anymore. It's a five five-speed highway, there's, there's the broken down lane and there's the 20 kilometer lane, etc. So I'm, I'm excited about it because, you know, we, we're in a very good position and, uh, and uh, I'm really, from, just from, I'm not, I'm not, I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to, pr what's the word, I'm prey on anyone's misfortune, but, you know, I'm, I buy and sell assets, you know, and I, and I hope, and I hope no one really suffers over it, but I'll wait till the market corrects and, and I see opportunity, whether it's in Melbourne or whether it's, whether it's in uh, interstate or even it's overseas. Um, in terms of market distress, just to finish up on, are you seeing any signs of market distress now or do you think it'll come in the next six to 12 months? 
it's definitely starting to show up but but the the banks the bank the lenders and the banks and and just the entire financial system have been have had the brakes on they haven't they haven't pressed the trigger and they're starting to pull the trigger and you know when you look at you know, I looked at something the other day I mean it was worth 40 million I, I, they won't get 20 they'll get 20 for it and the mortgagee is in possession and it will sell and so I think what we're going to see now as all all, all the painkillers wear off and you know hey and the banks are going to bite the bullet you've got to get that sold there are a lot of people there are a lot of assets I mean I mean, if you go back to the, if you go back, you know, talking to, talking to the agents that I spoke to, they've got 140 something retail shops vacant and rents of, effective rents have dropped by 45%. I mean, a lot of those are investors. A lot of those have got loans with the bank. I mean, they're gonna have to sell some of those. Some won't need to. So we haven't seen this. We haven't seen this, this the market forced into liquidation. The market hasn't, We've all, been, we've all been insulated from the pain. So we're now going back to normal commercial world. The job keeper and all those incentives. The painkillers are wearing off. We now, we now need to go back to normal commercial world. A normal commercial world. And, but in the face of, great in, of, of uncertainty, in, in the face of the vaccine, in the face of the growing, you know, the pandemic continuing and immigration not coming, immigration numbers not being restored, etc. Um, so, in the face of great uncertainty, this, the risk environment is just wrong. It's just, it's not. It makes no commercial sense. That's how I'm, I'm reading it, and you know, I've got my little formula that works for me. And and people ask me my opinion, I give it to them. And you've asked me to speak again, so I, I thought I'd share my views with you. It's Michael, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on this morning. The insights that nobody else seems to talk about. Thanks again for your time. My pleasure, Rob. Thank you.